1: So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. So today I am here in this wonderful office in Mallorca with a very special guest. Uh, this is someone that started out in the travel industry, handing out brochures in a travel agency. After that, short stint working in a Mexican restaurant um, and then sort of quickly jumped into, I guess, a more corporate side of travel uh, with roles at Air Tours, Thomas Cook, Apodo, um, where he was marketing director. And from there went to Expedia. Uh, low cost as chief operating officer. And then what's really interesting has jumped out of the corporate travel world to be very entrepreneurial and set up his own business, which is Fast Pay Hotels, where he's a CEO and founder. So I'm delighted to welcome the wonderful Alex. Alex just there.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on the podcast.
1: Excellent. No, it's wonderful. Very exciting. I get to speak to amazingly inspirational people like you, Alex, so I am very happy.
0: <laughs> I, well, I just hope I don't let you down then. You
1: <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You know what? I think a great place to start, Alex, would be just take us through your journey, you know, early days, you know, family background and yeah. kind of how you're, you've sort of progressed in the world of business life, if you like. And yeah. Picking out some highlights along the way. That'd be cool.
0: So, So um, I'm Spanish. I was born in Menorca. Um, I grew up in Spain, but um, from an English mum and a Spanish father. And my mother was horrified of me being uh, totally Spanish. So um, off I was sent off to boarding school. Um, So I've I've grown up with this sort of Spanish-English mix, which has worked out to be quite favorable. Um, Having finished at Exeter University, my first job was in Barcelona, as you rightly say. Um, I was assigned... 10 travel agencies a day that I had to go and visit and make sure that my, it was our brochures that were correctly stocked on the shelves, uh, getting, um, you know, budget, um, quotes for groups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I did that for a while. I moved back to Palmer. I ended up working for my uh, father um, who happened to have a Mexican restaurant in Barcelona. Uh-huh. Um, we were aware that people were skimming off the top And uh, I was brought in at the age of 24 uh, to run a a quite large restaurant. We had about 60, a team of 60 in the the restaurant. Um, I happened to also get a place at an MBA, uh, just as I started. And my father quite rightly turned around to me and said, listen, you can do a master's in business, or you can do a master's at a business. Um, So I ended up running and selling that restaurant to Pizza Express um, about three years in. It was probably their largest acquisition um, in Spain for a really, for a really long time. Um, I happened to, as part of my remit, owning these restaurants in Barcelona, organise the Airtours Christmas party every year. And I was very lucky to get to know uh, some of the Airtours team there. And when we sold the restaurant, I called them up and said, any jobs? Um, we've sold it. And I sold all the knives and forks and all this kind of stuff. I negotiated better prices on the cheese and the meat and uh, got rid of the restaurant, et etc. et cetera. Uh, and uh, ended up working at Air Tours, uh, based in Menorca, based in Andorra. I fell in love with a girl in London and decided that Andorra was going to kill me. I moved back to the UK and eventually started working at Thomas Cook. Um, I was a hotel buyer at Thomas Cook, which is somebody who goes and visits the hotels to put into the brochure of the following year. Um, I was very lucky to, discuss, to have Spain, obviously, because I was always mm. given sort of Spanish destinations. Um, that was great fun. Um, and then one of my holidays uh, was visiting Croatia. Um, I did a two-week driving holiday in Croatia with my girlfriend at the time. I came back to the uh, Thomas Cook head office and I said, why aren't we doing holidays to Croatia? Uh, and they said, all right, we'll give you one Manchester flight and one Gatwick flight. And I convinced Thomas Cook to start flying to <laughs> to, uh, to Croatia. That was an incredible experience. And then one day, the CEO at the time, a chap called Manny Fontella Novoa, took me aside and said really, Alex, um, you've had enough of this uh, hotel nonsense. You need to move to the internet side of the business. And I told him that was crazy and that no one would ever buy their holidays on the internet, because why would anyone buy anything on the internet? Uh, and he said, if you move, I'll send you off on a business course at Loughborough University, um, which, I, which I did. I didn't concentrate particularly hard, but off I did. I did that. Um, and that set me up in the e-commerce business. That was an amazing moment for me. Um, from then on I've worked at a podo uh, where i where I met my wife um, and we decided that working together was not an option um, <laughs> I hit the dizzy heights of corporate world at, at Expedia with two roles I was um, I was sort of the lead negotiator for global hotel chains at Expedia uh, on in Europe um, and then I was a marketing director there um, I brought Expedia into mobile and facebook and display and uh, metasearch and those kind of things so that was a uh, we the first ever deal with Travago, for example, and TripAdvisor and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I went through low cost. I'm sure uh, we, we we can talk about it if if you like. And then uh, and now I'm a entrepreneur. I set up um, with a co-founder with uh, with uh, with a friend and 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 we set up my own business. So I've ducked and dived in various things, mostly travel, Jeanette, but um, and a Mexican restaurant thrown in. Right. <laughs>
1: That's fantastic. And what I love about, I mean, there's so much in there, actually, because you've done some amazing roles, right, and worked in some fabulous businesses, great brands, et cetera. But it's interesting how I didn't realise, when you said about the Mexican restaurant, I just thought, oh, you must have been waiting, when you were waiting on in a Mexican restaurant. Didn't quite realise that it was the family business that you essentially then, yeah. you know, uh, prepared for sales. So even in that early period of your career, your business life, very entrepreneurial, actually.
0: Yeah, hugely so, because firstly, it was a big team, experienced team. This was a franchise business, and I didn't understand how the restaurant worked. So for essentially the first three months of the business, I was shipped off to Bayswater in London, and I had to learn to make appetizers and fajitas and margaritas. And I did washing up, I did waitressing, I did barman, et cetera, et cetera, so that I could go back and run the family restaurant, because there's nothing worse than having the owner or the manager of the restaurant, having no clue how anything works and annoying the rest of the team. So my, my father was very strict on that and, and, and sent me off to do that. I think the, the restaurant experience was phenomenal because we had a large enough team, which meant that on a monthly basis, I had to negotiate with the unions, things like shower access, uh, um, changing rooms, uh, facilities. And I, and I had to go and literally sit with these very aggressive union members and uh, which was an incredible opportunity. I had to negotiate discounts and uh, with the cheese guy, the alcohol guy, the fish guy, negotiate rents, uh, hire and fire people. Um, and obviously restaurants is a different vibe, right? Yeah. So um, it's late nights, it's um, uh, you know, temperamental chefs, etc., cetera, But et cetera. I think you're right. And I think my father was currently, was based in Mallorca, I was in Barcelona. He'd call me and he'd say, how are sales today? And and I'd say this, and I said I need to give you some other news, and he'd just put down the phone, and uh, he'd say the rest of it is your problem, you know, learn, learn, and it was an, it was a very entrepreneurial uh, role, um, but what I got an awful lot out of, and incredibly hard work. I mean, anyone who's worked in a restaurant will tell you, uh, you're a, you're a complete slave to it. It's a it's a twenty four seven business. Yeah,
1: you know? but how great you know, obviously your dad had done very well in business himself, hadn't he? And I guess. It's. All, I imagine it's very challenging in in that situation. You know, do you want your children to benefit from the fruits of your labor as a father, or actually do you want them to learn the ropes the hard way? And it sounds like your dad took that approach because he wanted you to to essentially be you know learn from the bottom up, as opposed to it being handed to you on a plate.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think Dad was always. Um, uh, my father passed away about three years ago, but he's very very keen on on that for me. He always mm. said. You know, I will. I will. You know, uh, please don't ever expect anything from me. I will leave you nothing. Um, he was very keen on me always to work from the bottom up. He's very strong and very strict on the concept of there are no shortcuts. This mm-hmm. is a big thing. He used to say to me, like, you have to work your way into these situations. Um, he was very much a sales guy, um, but to be fair, um, he, he you know he, he worked incredibly hard. And I think for me, that obviously that was uh, my hero. Obviously, and I, and I and I wanted to learn from him. So. Um, the, and when you work in a family business, it's incredibly tense. You really have to work to, twice as hard as everyone else mm. to justify the fact that you're in the building. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the shouting and the humiliation uh, that, you're, that, you're, that your father will put you through uh, is incredible. But um, it probably makes you a better professional and it gives you sort of that roundedness as well, yeah. we? and that responsibility. Um, I found it incredibly difficult. I found it really, really difficult. It wasn't a business I understood. At first, um, but I was really proud because at the end of the day, I turned around to uh, my father. And I said, "Look, I think we've gone as far as we can. How about we sell it?" And I found a buyer, uh, and 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 we and we passed it on to another business. And uh, it was a great it was a great deal for him, um, but it was for me it was my masters. I, I, I you know looking back, I didn't do the MBA. Yeah. There's an awful lot of things I haven't learned, and I wish I had. Um, but in terms of leadership and management, I think it was probably my making, yeah.
1: Yeah, amazing. And then it's interesting how sometimes you just have um, a contact, don't you? In, in your case, it was the Air Tours team over yeah. there for their Christmas party that almost gave you that connection, to then join Air Tours. So sometimes people come along in your life, don't they? And, and, and it sometimes just feels for a reason. And then yeah. from that, it, it can really turn into something quite, quite magnificent. So you jumped into Air Tours. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you at Air Tours for, Alex?
0: Uh, I was at Air Tours probably about a couple of years. Yeah. Um, which was an incredible company. Yeah. Um, I had some insane things happen to me um, there. Uh, 9-11 happened when I was at Air Tours. Mm-hmm. Um, there were flight planes at the tarmac at Gatwick that couldn't go to Orlando on holiday. So I managed to divert them to Menorca and fill a couple of hotels, which is, you know, on the, on the <laughs> spot we had. Um, but that was a great company culturally, um, very, very dynamic. There's an awful lot to learn. And it felt like I never met the founder, uh, David Crossland, but it felt like the spirit of his business was, was through the whole mm-hmm. business. And everyone was very proud uh, to become uh, part of Etos. And, and I think that was um, yeah, that was a phenomenal company, and it was a negotiating and deals type role, um, based in in, in Andorra, uh, where we opened, where I was part of opening opening the office. I was in Malaga for a while, uh, and I was also in Menorca, which is somewhere I knew. To be fair, so that mm. was a, that was a, an advantage. But yeah, that was a great a great place to work.
1: Yeah. yeah, and 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 it's interesting because when you've got um, a big brand behind you, like Air Tours, I mean, we've both worked for big brands, haven't we, through our corporate career? And sometimes I think that can um, make life a bit easier because you've got the brand behind you, but still in the role where you're out there dealing with the suppliers it's very much about the relationship and you, you are kind of on your own and, and I think probably hearing your story about the Mexican restaurant how you took the family business and sold it mm. I, that must have been that must have made the roles you had dealing with the suppliers much Easier than if you'd not had that early experience.
0: Well, certainly with AirTours, I was dealing with independent hotels and yeah. in, very, in many cases with owners of independent hotels. And having been a pseudo-owner myself yeah. at the Mexican restaurant, I was able to talk about more than. And I think in any relationship that you're building, in any negotiation that you're having, if you literally go and only discuss the variables of what's going to appear on a contract or a term sheet, yeah. you're at a weaker position. I think yeah. it's always best to say, So tell me about your restaurant. Where are you buying a cheese from? Oh, that's interesting. You know what I used to do with the meat supply? That kind of empathy yeah. that you can have with someone, I felt has always opened doors for me later on in life. Yeah. Um, if you're able to talk to, and some hoteliers, particularly in Menorca, were better restaurateurs than they were hoteliers. Mm. And they were very proud of their restaurant. So I had lots to chat about. I yeah. said, how do you make your guacamole? You know, it, it's, <laughs> a, it's a, it's a, it's a, Funny things, but that would build huge bridges yeah. um, with people, which then opens the further doors, and you'll probably bring into a sort of another level of confidence um, mm. with, 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 with people with like people. And I think that's – I've always tried to do that with everything. And if you can sort of crisscross your career into – um, interesting and constructive conversations with people I think that makes a difference
1: yeah and we were talking before we started the podcast we were talking about your time at apodo yeah. and how you joined in one role and then very very quickly you all of a sudden were catapulted up the ladder yeah. do you want to just talk a little bit about that because that's quitepodo was amazing story.
0: I was you know I was there for the first year i had a um, I had a European role managing holidays and but apodo wasn't particularly doing very it wasn't doing very well it was owned by Amadeus at the time and Amadeus brought someone in who really was fantastic for me, uh, uh, a man called Ignacio Martos, uh, who came in and on the first afternoon, he took the whole company aside and he said, everything you know is wrong. Uh, you can make money from selling flight tickets. Everything you've been told is not true. Um, the following week, he said, I don't really need an exec team or a board. So they all went. And, and I, of course, uh, his English, level of English is very good now, to be fair, but it wasn't the strongest at the beginning. And I don't think, he didn't really know me particularly well. Um, but he came in and he said you speak good english and spanish i'm going to need you around um, congratulations you're moving up three roles <laughs> so 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 overnight i jumped from commercial executive or junior as a manager or something to commercial director for the apodo group uh, running all of the hotels team uh, and he was incredible i mean he was just so fast i mean he managed to turn around a business that was losing around 40 million um into a break-even business within 18 months. And um, he did it incredible speed. Um, and, and, and I was on that journey with him and, I, and it was fantastic. And, I, and actually we were very lucky. The best thing happened to me is with it, I got a job offer within the Amadeus group, just literally the week that he joined to go and join another uh, business um, called Traveltainment, oh, actually nice. to launch it in the UK. And I remember um, he said to the Amadeus team, so you're telling me this business loses £40 million and there's one guy that isn't any good and you're going to take him away from me. Right, I'll promote him. You know, just very lucky, very, very lucky. Um, but it obviously propelled me to a, to a new profile um, and, 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 and a new level of contacts and, and some really interesting decision making. And I was able to see how this man turned around this business, uh, which was then sold on awfully to the eDreams and the Digio group later on. But what an amazing transformation of a business that I was able to uh, form a party of.
1: How did it feel at the time when when that happened almost like literally overnight? What was your gut feel when he said to you, right, you're going to be the marketing director now?
0: Um, God, (laughs) I found it really daunting. I found it really daunting because to a large extent, a lot of the people I was going to be managing had been my superiors in some case and and all people I was working alongside. So there's always that bit, isn't there? There's always that, do I deserve it? Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand... um, Look, this business was losing 40 million. So from my perspective, I thought this was a massive opportunity. Um, And uh, to be fair, I had worked at thomasgood.com before in a very small e-commerce team with 11 people. This was an e-commerce team with 70. So I was quite grounded. I understood all of the variables. Mm. So I definitely knew there were things at Apoda that were wrong. And I brought in a lot of new things very, very quickly that I learned from, you know, working with uh, the likes of people like Catherine Gershon and Mm. uh, and Manny. And it was it was just an amazing, uh, amazing school, Um, but it was very, very daunting. And um, I also knew that he was he wasn't going to muck around this guy. So um, I knew I had to deliver results incredibly fast. but I was up for the challenge and, you know, at that, at that stage of your career, you know, I wasn't married, I didn't have children, you know, you've nothing to lose. And, and I absolutely put my foot down and, and, we, and, we, and it made a difference.
1: Right? Yeah. And I think uh, you made an interesting point because in that situation, the business was losing 40 million. So you've almost got a bit of a burning platform. And as you say, nothing to lose. So I think sometimes in the corporate world, it's easier to make quite... Quite large changes when you've got a really bad situation. Yeah. You know, you can be braver, can't you? Yeah, correct.
0: You can be bold and, and brave. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I think I think you're right, and I think um, new thinking was definitely needed because mm. everything that was done up to the point had was was sort of like tainted, um, but in the views of everybody who was working there. So people were very very ready to accept that level of change, and and he was tasked with it with a turnaround, um, and we put together an amazing team. There were some fantastic people, I and mean, if you look at the People have gone on to do some incredible jobs mm. um, that, 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 that were in that core team at Opodo. and it was an I, I thought it was a fantastic um, opportunity for us. Um, you know, we, we, we unfortunately a lot of people went, um, but it was interesting. He was, he, you know, I learned a lot from him, and unfortunately, you know, probably quite prescient in, 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 in these times of, times of Covid. Um, we got rid of a huge amount of people, and not a lot happened. Mm. You know, and that's, that's a learning, right? And yeah. you know, sometimes there's an awful lot of things that are happening in a business. So things like, you know, what I learned was good business was going through a list of costs and him saying, what's this? And someone would say, that's the plant watering man, the gardener that comes and waters the plants. And he would say, get rid of him and the plants. Yeah. Or we'd say, what's, he said, what's this? Well, that's Sky News on the TV in reception. And he'd say, get rid of the receptionist, the TV and Sky News. Yeah. Um, so, we, you know, looking at your cost le- the, the cost ledger and just going through every yeah. single line item and saying, why do we do this? I don't understand. Mm. And actually, he said, do you realize that we're losing 40 million and Apodo um, is subsidizing head massages for uh, employees to the tune of 50 percent? And he said, I get that we should look after employees, <laughs> but there's something fundamentally wrong here. <laughs> But we're subsidising massages at lunchtime for staff, and we're losing forty million. Yeah. And and actually, um, what you know, sitting with him in a room for hours on end, literally going through line items from an accounting system, mm. saying what cost goes next, what cost goes next. I thought that was incredible training for me. I, you know, mm. I I didn't understand. You know, it's amazing how companies just accumulate this nonsense. Yeah, um, yeah. something I do in my current business every uh, every two three months. I sit down and go. Let's look at all this stuff again, Yeah. you know, what, what do you mean we're paying this much for bulbs? Yeah. What are we doing? Why are we buying this kind of coffee? You know, these things matter. And it also shows a great example, I think, to, to, to the team that's around
1: you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I always think as a, as a CEO, you, you, you're you broadly worried about three things. I think mean, one, cost base, absolutely, because you can control your costs. There's lots of stuff you can't control in the external environment, but you can control your costs, can't you? Profit and growth mm. clearly, and then brand yeah. reputation, stroke reputation. And I always think if you can think on those three angles, how am I improving in each of those three areas? Then that's a good place to, yeah. to focus your effort and, and attention. But but you're right because in the cor- in a corporate world, often you get fat, don't you? You know you, the overhead just just and you just don't even grows. realize you're doing it. And don't suddenly the realize. new normal
0: becomes the norm. Yeah. Um and it becomes it's quite scary actually how quickly that all happens.
1: Yeah, I mean I remember my time at, at First Choice when I joined and I was product director and Dermot Blasland was the uh, CEO at the time with and Peter Long was a group CEO. I remember Dermot saying we've got to mow the lawn again. And that was his terminology yeah. around, you know, come on we've got to tackle the cost base and I'd go Okay, do how much this time, and yeah. he'd say fifteen percent or, or whatever the number yeah. was. But it was that regular discipline of absolutely doing that. And I think with the PODO, they were in a loss-making situation with first choice at the time. They were fourth in the market. You know, they, they were not the market leader. And I think if you're in that one of those positions, either loss-making or you're, you're not, you're not, ahead, you know, number one or number two, it forces you to to have that rigor, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, which actually ends up with the business being a far stronger business in many ways than the ones that were sex- successful and so, didn't return. So, attend, so we that.
0: called it this at low cost, we called it cut the grass, Yeah. which probably came from the same source but, somehow. <laughs> but the, I think the, the second part of that statement is, and that makes the grass come back stronger. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, the more you mow your lawn, you know, the stronger it is, like, you know, cutting your hair or yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: shaving your beard, right? You know, it's the same, you know, the, the roots yeah. come back and, and strengthen. And I think um, yeah, that was an amazing experience of Podo. I think that's that's something that, that, that that's key. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, And 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 obviously, you know, Ignacio saw something in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself at the time. You know, and he, 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 it wasn't just you spoke Spanish. I'm sure it wasn't because you were very successful in in the roles you were there. But that I think that ability sometimes to spot talent and to give people the confidence in themselves, even if they don't feel it straight away. Um, is, is pivotal and for you obviously it was a massive step change yeah. in your career that was, you know, kind of catapulted you forward, didn't it? Really? He
0: gave me a lot of responsibility very quickly, a lot of spend yeah. responsibility. We were big spenders. Yeah. Um, and I think um, it was an amazing, uh, I think when you when you have that kind of opportunity, you've got to grab it with both hands and I'm the kind of person that, that, that would. Yeah. And, and I think he was very, uh, very good at just setting me tasks and then saying, mm-hmm. look, I'm not really interested in how you're going to get there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just get it just done. Just get it
0: done. <laughs> and actually, uh, I've, I've done that in the rest of my career with the people I've managed. Uh, he was very, very good at that. And I think when you've got that many um, plates that are spinning up in the air, mm. which he already well, he had, he'd just look at me and go, I don't need to know. Yeah. Just go make it happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he'd simplify things. To, he'd simplify things. You know, um, all of us spend things on e-commerce sites, right? And he had this thing about, people obsess constantly, don't they, about um, buying a product and then what you would do is you right as when they when you hit the when you get to the credit card like stage they try and chuck something else in don't they they go well done for buying a flight you sure you don't want a hotel yeah. or, wait well every other uh, people who bought this on amazon by the way also bought the batteries yeah. you interested <laughs> and he would always say to me he said look when i go and buy a shirt i don't tr- i'm not there to buy a tie if i was there to buy a tie I'd buy a tie don't try and tell me a sh- don't try and sell me a shirt and tie yeah. and he'd simplify things and he would go and he would have no and he would say to me take risks you know get rid of this for payment for uh, uh, this this marketing channel get rid of that get rid of this get rid of that we're losing 40 million just take loads of risks there's got to be a better way of doing this no one's invented this stuff mm. ever before no one's done the internet before just go go and take loads of risks and he was good at that and I and I think one of the things I've always probably been quite good at is taking risks and taking mm. chances um, and I hopefully he saw that in me because I, he knew that I was gonna try all these new things and push things uh, to probably where they hadn't been before and that was um, and it worked off, and it and it paid off. I'm yeah, thinking, oh, it was yeah.
1: And and that taking risks, how has that played out, sort of post-apodo, you know, time in your kind of career?
0: Well, you 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 build a confidence, right? Because in a corporate environment, taking risks is incredibly, you know, if you put yourself out there and say this is my idea, in a corporate environment, you could it could spin you up the the, the, the ladder, or you could fall down the snake very yeah. very quickly. <laughs> And I think because of the success that I had at Apodo, uh, probably a more senior level mm. when you get to a director level. Yeah. What ends up happening is you, at some point in your career, um, you kind of know that even if it goes incredibly badly, someone else will give you a job somewhere yeah. because of who you know and what you know. Yeah. And then there's an accelerator moment, isn't there, that says, so then in your next job, be it a low cost or be it an expedient, you'll take another risk mm. because you know that you've got that stuff to lean on so you take a risk you're successful and no one can ever take that away from you because you've, you've got that badge haven't you at that yeah. point of well done you did it yeah. what then happens is that the, 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 in your next role in your next job in your next venture in your next project you take another risk because you know you can fall back on that I mean unless you completely screw up something massively yeah. um, but generally mm. I think there's a before and after moment when, when you actually start being responsible for decisions in your career and you start taking risks and they pay off. You've always got that. Mm. And that's why it's worth, I think, taking the risks. Yeah. Uh, because at Expedia, I was able to say, I think we should do this. And everyone looks at you and goes, oh, are you sure? You know, and they're big salaries and yeah. You've got big mortgages and big responsibilities, and people are desperate to take your job. And it's it's corporate, and everyone's going after each other. And yeah. you've got to have your back covered. And, and you know we've all worked in those kind of places. Um, but once you've taken the risk and you've been successful, you can always say, "Well, fine. Listen, if you don't want me, I'll walk somewhere else." And I, there was always somewhere else I could have gone. Mm. Um, and I think that's the that's the that's the underside of the of the risk taking that you always need to take into account. There's actually quite a lot to. There's not just The face value of taking risks and being successful. There's having that in your back pocket forever, right?
1: Yeah, and and it's the confidence, isn't it? It's the mind it's a mind it's partly mindset, isn't it? And I think you touched on a really interesting point about almost attitude to failure that, you know, even if it doesn't all go fantastically well, if you don't think of failure as failure, you think of it as learning and actually move forward from from, from that point. It's it's quite because sometimes people are so petrified fear of failure that they never take action at all yeah. or they never put forward the idea or whatever it might be and I think obviously you you're very confident in yourself to be able to kind of go well you know what I'm a good guy I've got loads of experience I've got with the credentials of everything I've got behind me even if this messes up it doesn't matter because I know I believe in myself and I know I can do something great yeah. a- anyway
0: and I think I think yeah and I think I've taken that with me and I think possibly I mean it sounds silly but probably you know leading a mexican restaurant probably says well if i can do if i can do this <laughs> frankly <laughs> yeah. you know i can work on this i can try it. and also you know there, uh, what's the worst that could happen is something i ask myself an awful lot what's literally the worst yeah. that could happen I'm, I'm a big believer as well is like um i work in the travel industry a lot of us work in other fun industries but what we do isn't fundamentally that important to the human race right Which yeah. not with it I, I think I'd probably have a different attitude if I was a cardiac surgeon, yes, or a, you know, or a brain tumor specialist yeah. or something. Probably, risk isn't the word that yeah. you would that you use. But we sell holidays to a large extent, you know, chill. Yeah, no one's died here. I, correct. So yeah. I do think that in that context you can move forward, and then on a personal basis. Um, Look, absolutely, you should, um, you should, you should go for it because there's more to win uh, very often, and I've always taken that attitude.
1: Yeah, and, and I and I think that is absolutely spot on because I think so often people are th- worried about what they're going to lose. They don't think about what they're going to gain. Um, And that can just totally stop people in their tracks. You know, fear of loss, fear of judgment, fear of... You know, it's all quite negative very often, isn't it? Whereas actually, if you think, well, no, if I do this, I could achieve this and that could be brilliant, you know. And I'd rather try... And, and maybe it doesn't work out wonderfully, but at least I've given it a go. Yeah. I've not got any regrets. I've, I've given it my best shot. And you
0: need to find that point. Yeah, You need to find that point in your yeah. life as well. Yeah. yeah,
1: And I think that partly comes with age, but I think for you, you had a lot of responsibility very young, didn't yeah. you? That probably catapulted your confidence, probably more so than a lot of other people that maybe took them a bit longer to get there.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I was very lucky with that, and I was exposed to entrepreneurship early. I was yeah. exposed to senior manager decisions early. I was exposed yeah. to bigger numbers early. Yeah, um, and that does give you more confidence, and it does allow you to, um, it does allow you to be more confident about bigger decisions, mm-hmm. and and also, time is such a. You know, the more senior you are in that corporate world, the more you're exposed to some incredibly senior people. Yeah, you know, um, you do get literally allotted fifteen minutes with the CEO of Expedia. You know who's now the CEO of Uber, right? Yes. And you better know your stuff as you walk in. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to get stage fright in that environment because yeah. you are literally being told <laughs> you've got 15 minutes, make your point, get out, you know, don't lose your job in the process, right? <laughs> yeah. And you and you don't, and you don't, you know, you don't want to leave a bad impression. Actually, you probably don't want to leave any impression to a large extent. <laughs> you know, because it's because it's that level of pressure and that and it's so time everything's so yeah. time sensitive, and everything has to be incredibly efficient. Um, but if you can go in and be confident in yourself and make the comment about the food, the whatever, whatever, because you're confident enough to do so and you're not, and and you've been on, you know, frankly, negotiating with unions mm. uh, about you know access to changing rooms is probably a little more scary than it is dealing with a man as intelligent as the CEO of Expedia. You, yeah. I thought was an incredibly impressive figure. Yeah. Um. You, once you've gone through that, you're right. It does build your confidence. You yeah. Know, it's, it's it's more difficult to be shaken.
1: Yeah. And and after Expedia, so then you jumped out of Expedia and you went to low cost, right? That's right. And was low cost that was based was that based in Mallorca at the time, Alex? Or, no, so, or did that so, come later. So I was
0: very lucky And Expedia. I had I had two jobs because I, I ran you know, global hotel negotiations, I was also in marketing, um, but of course I had exposure to lots of markets. And I think low cost at the time felt that the UK was okay, but they wanted to expand internationally. Yeah. So they said, will you come and work for us? Um, and would you like to um, be, and I said, yes, but I'd like to be based in Mallorca because I had this incredible conversation with, I had twins, I was, uh, we, my wife and I found out we are having twins. And we decided that we didn't want to live in, in London yep. with twins for, from a quality of life perspective. And it, it's worth talking about this, actually, because mm. I called my boss in, that, in Seattle and I said, uh, listen, I'm going to have twins. And he went, great news. I said, I'd like to go and live in Mallorca because from a quality of life perspective, that'll be better for my wife and I. Yeah. And he said, where's Mallorca? And I said, it's about two hours away. And I don't think he clocked what I said when I said two hours away. Yeah. And he went, great. Why would not you move there? I said, great. And literally within 10 days, we were up and gone. <laughs> um, years later, he left Expedia. And uh, Greg's a great guy. He were, he's now um, the CMO of, uh, of he'd done AutoNation, all these kind of things. And uh, I had lunch with him. I said, did you realize uh, it was a flight away? And he went, of course, I didn't realize it was a flight away. I, I didn't know where Mallorca was. I thought it was like going to Portland two hours away. Uh, but anyway, anyway, we ended up here. And I wanted to be closer to the twins. And uh, Locos came along. And from here, low cost set up its international expansion. Right. So I walked in on the first day and I was essentially MD of 12 different countries where we were trying to run OTA, low cost holidays, bed bank, low cost beds selling to the trade, a B2B yes. business and a, and a transfer business called Resort Hopper oh, yes, at the yes. same time. So I was asked to run three brands in 12 countries uh, almost immediately. Um, with really very little resources and hardly any cash as, as we now know, but um, yeah that was, a, that, was a, that was a big jump, and obviously from Expedia to low cost, I mean it was a, it was a, you know, it, it took some adjusting,
1: certainly talk about the cultural shift then because Expedia, big American company as we know, massive brand daria was, was the CEO as you say, when you were there, and then to go to long, low cost, which was probably much more entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, obviously you were over here with the Spanish culture mm-hmm. aspect. How did that transition feel for you from a cultural point of view?
0: I mean, I think with no disrespect to the people at low cost, I mean, I've never sat in a room of such bright and intelligent people as I did as Expedia. I yeah, mean,
1: okay. Every one of
0: them I always felt was so impressive. They're all you know, McKinsey's and, yeah. and it's just some incredibly academic people. Mm. Um, but low cost was incredibly entrepreneurial, a lot more so than Expedia, and everything was in a hurry. Everything was fast, um, and culturally, when you're when you're short on resources, you, your goals are much more short term. You know, mm. Expedia projects could easily take eighteen months. Yeah, everything at low cost didn't take more than a week; otherwise, it wasn't worth doing. Right, you know, and that, that, adapting to that's very very difficult. Um, and also, the from a management perspective, the, the shift of the business was constant. So we'd go, we'd go left, we'd go right, we'd go up, we'd go down. Yep. You know, Expedia was sort of like, you know, a, a, like an oil tanker, mm. just you know, gaining speed all of the time and incredibly powerful. Uh, but low cost was was unbelievably agile. Mm. Um, and just the sheer ambition of the business was was incredible. You know, we are going to be in fifty countries, not twelve. We're going to launch much more. We're going to contract every hotel in the world uh, by the end of next week. You know, um, that I thought was was fantastic. Um, and also, I think we we called a spade a spade when things were not right. We were very fair to each other. We were very direct to each other. Mm. Uh, and we had a great CEO who was, um, you know, who led from the front. Who was very much in the detail. And he'd grown up with the business. Mm. Um, and he was struggling with the letting go to his team. Um, but he was. doing But he, you know, certainly in the early years, the pace of growth was phenomenal. Uh, and dealing with growth is really hard, really, mm. really hard. Um, um, I find that incredibly difficult now. Um, but growth, you know. It's very easy to rush cost in, rush cost out, knowing when growth is going to happen, uh, getting a team ready culturally for growth is really, really, really hard. Um, Expedia, everything was planned for. There was always resources. There was always laptops. There was always chairs and tables to sit on. Yeah. These aren't even things that people think about at low cost. Um, uh, Expedia. At Expedia, at low cost, we were like, we're launching Norway, we, someone needs to get up there next week and buy six, uh, six computers and find an office in Regus because otherwise we can't even launch Norway the license just came in. Yeah. you know, r- Running at that speed um, was amazing, was amazing. Our ability to get things done was phenomenal. Um, clearly difficult for me, I found, you know, what's amazing is I think anyone who moves from a really big recognized brand to a much more less recognized brand, it was more recognized in the UK, but, you know, walking into low cost in Brazil, as low cost guy in Brazil, in Atlanta, in Dubai, where no one knows mm-hmm. anything about you, um, and people to say you're the guy who was at Expedia before, right? And yes. What are you doing now? Yeah. I'm working at low cost. What are you talking about? Don't want to know. You some of the relationships you build in business, you also realize, you know, ultimately they didn't. It's not as if they liked you that much. They really liked Expedia. Yeah. Right. And okay. you, know, you start, and then you don't realize that when you're Expedia, you think you're the most popular guy in the yeah. room because you are the one. Yeah. funny that. But obviously, you've got the big bucks, and I was a big. I, you know, I had a lot of marketing dollars to spend. Yeah. Um. But uh, culturally, I found that the the growth is. I found it really exciting. I, it was it was a it was a re- very crazy. Um, of course, we made mistakes, but it's impossible to grow at that pace without yeah. without failing. It's a, you know, you've got to get things wrong, to, and you've got to break stuff
1: yeah.
0: uh, to, to to make things work. Um, but it, but but it was good. And I the the other thing I think the other thing I found with low cost is that a lot of people were there right from the beginning of the business. We were trying to move this business into 50 countries and four or five brands and really create a travel group. Um, the other thing is not everyone believed it.
1: Okay. There was yeah. an
0: awful lot of, particularly people, you know, so when we opened offices in Atlanta or we opened offices in Bangkok, they were fairly comfortable that low cost was, was operating in 30, 40 countries. Mm. The guys back at base in Gatwick um, were looking at us going, what are you talking about? You're all mad. Why would why we need hotels in Vietnam? Why is this a thing? Yeah. Why should I be mapping hotels in Oklahoma? Why is this a thing? You know, we've been selling Tenerife, Mallorca and whatever yeah. for the whole of our lives. And I think um, um, growth is difficult by itself, but, but mentally people, you know, struggle to come along. And a lot of the old school of low cost eventually started leaving mm. because they were like, this is not where I want to work. You know, why am I yeah. being told that uh, Brazil's now bigger than the UK? Why am I, you know, th- these kind of things, um, I think um, it was quite difficult to transition mm. uh, people, people like that. And culturally at Expedia, that would never have been a problem. Right. Because Expedia was a global focus right from right from the start.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and that's key, isn't it? Bringing your team with you, bringing suppliers with you, bringing, you know, all those relationships that are so critical for the business. So how do you convince people that this is a journey that it's worth them being on with you? Yeah. Um, And and when is it appropriate to accept that this person maybe is just in a different place and it's okay to part company?
0: That's a really hard moment. Yeah. And also, as an entrepreneur, definitely the team that was there right at the beginning had massive strings attached to each other. Mm. Um, When we said, listen, we're not going to, we're going to move all of this finance team to Poland. Well, what about the people who've been here 10 years? Yeah, Yeah, we're not going to need them anymore because we've got a new way of doing it with a new ERP, with a new this and new that and new this immediately that creates big divisions and I think you know looking back at that growth was great but globalization wow really really hard to do really really hard to do well um, and also of course we would hire some really valid people in Ireland in Sweden mm. um, in Spain in Germany some really amazing professionals that have now got some great jobs but we never really gave them any of the power we never really gave them any big decision making because the team back at base were like we're terrified um, what do you mean there's a german telling us how to make payments mm. all of this needs to be closer to our chest um globalization was 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 really hard and expedia that was just normal it was just global footprint yeah. and um that uh people people take growth for granted and growth within a country is difficult but globalized growth and multinational growth um i think I think that's really, really, really hard to do well, incredibly mm. hard to do well.
1: Yeah. And the cultural diversity as well. I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I remember my time when I was MD of the emerging markets for TUI and doing business in China was just so different. It couldn't be more different than doing business in the UK or yeah. in Russia or in India. And, and you really have to be aware and culturally sensitive, don't yeah. you, to that? And, and the business I, I, rules are different. And British
0: know? and Americans have a very bespoke way of talking. Yes. The way you and I are interacting now, yeah. a lot of the words that we use aren't naturally what's in a textbook in Germany or in France. Yeah, right? true. yeah. Um, And what I found is when we did do calls, you know, the, the typical conference call that we've all been on with mm. five guys from different countries on the room, you'd get a British person and they would just lose the team. You've got, you know, just using language and, and terminologies and just the in-jokes and the British gags, you can alienate people overnight with that. And people will feel in Sweden, and they think they speak good English, and they'll go, I don't understand anything that's being said on the conference calls." People will call me and go, can you tell me what they said? I don't really understand what the joke was. Yeah. Um, what, you know, and and people, people think that English, there's, inter, there's international English, but just, just the use of language and the, what you call things mm. is really, really, um, it's so important when you globalise. Um, and, and, and not everyone's, everyone speaks English, Fine, in, in a corporate environment, and more so, ever more so. Mm. But no one has, you know, not everyone's first language is English. And I was amazed. And cost really struggled with this. Yeah. They put they put jokes into some of the reports. They'd call things funny things, and it just alienated people so quickly. And if you're in Bangkok and your, English is not your first language, uh, language, and they would look at these things and go, I don't know, I don't understand anything yeah. what I'm going to do. And it's... Silly things that people, companies, I I find that like incredible learning. I I found that really, really interesting. uh,
1: Do you think the fact that you were bilingual and you had a, you know, English mother, Spanish father, that you were quite attuned to that from just being a kid and being in that sort of, you know, bilingual environment? Well, I'm I'm
0: fascinated by language all the time and what we call things. And I have real fights at Fast Bay Hotels now with um, with the people, what they call things. I make them change the names of things all the time. Right. And they go, well, why does this matter? I said, because it doesn't mean that in Italian. It doesn't mean that. It's too close to that. Because I, I think you're right. I think I'm probably sort of a slightly more sensitive yeah. uh, than, than I would be. And I'm really aware of losing people on humour and terminologies and reporting mm. and just weird stuff like that. Because um, it, it, you've got to normalise in a massive way, the the, the terminologies and the, the language you use, because otherwise you lose people along the way, and it's such a silly way to, to do that. But I think you're right. I think probably sort of the fact that I, was, I speak Catalan, you know, Spanish and English sort of um, natively probably mm. makes me more sensitive to language than I. And obviously, I've gone on to learn more languages, but yeah. I'm probably more sensitive to it than, than 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 others. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's great advice for anyone that's actually in an international business, always thinking of of going global with their business don't underestimate the cultural differences and the diversity and the choice of language and the way of doing business. You know, how you accept someone's business card in China yeah. is incredible. And in India, you know, is very different to a, a US approach. And even just tiny things that can make or break the deal, can't it? Yeah. And tiny little details. But um, no, so that's great advice. Yeah. So let's talk about fast pay hotels in terms of, so you jumped out of obviously low cost.
0: Yeah, so about two years, a year and a half before low cost eventually disappeared. I was um, you know, I was a CEO there, it was, it was going great, but um, I'd learned an awful lot. I'd, I'd taken an English, a British business um, and we'd launched it in 50 countries. We'd launched about four or five brands at the time. I'd opened about 12 offices and it was getting interesting. But um, at my interview with Low Cost, I walked into the interview with the CEO and I had a picture of a house and I said, there's no reason I should leave Expedia. And he said, no, no, you've got to leave. You've got to join me. This is the most amazing journey of your life. And I said, well, I want to buy this house when I leave. the day I leave, low cost. And it had a massive price tag on it, right? Yeah. And he said, what are you going to do with low cost? He said, well, one day we're going to sell it. And I said, fine. Well, do me a deal, pay me a salary, but I want to walk out and I want to be able to buy this house without a mortgage. And my wife and I really love this house. Otherwise, I'm going to stay with Expedia. And he went, great, let's do it. So, so I was vested into the possible sale of the business, right? Mm. Um, Now, what you don't know when you go into these situations is that you really have no power over this whatsoever. It actually, you know, they can give you anything you want, they can take it away, frankly, it doesn't really matter. Mm. But it's a nice thing to have on a piece of paper, because it makes you feel like you're more involved in the business and Mm. you're you're more invested in it, which is great. Um, I realised at some point that I wasn't going to be able to buy the house off The back of low cost, so I said, if I am going to want to buy that house, um, probably not there anymore, but uh, you know, at the time uh, I really needed to go and set up on my own. And as you develop within your role at low cost, I realized, do you know, I actually know quite a lot of people, I've actually learned quite a lot of things, I've actually taken a lot of risks, I've actually made some really big bets, um, I've actually got a really, really good team here. In fact, people who probably follow me uh, to the next place, um. And one of those people uh, was Elodie, my co-founder, uh, my co-founder at FastPay, who I'd brought from Expedia to Low Cost, and convinced her to move to Mallorca, and then um, from Low Cost, um, we were in a taxi in Madrid, and I said, "I've got a really crazy idea for this new idea," and she went, "That's the worst idea I've ever heard," and I said, "And I think we're going to call it." Uh, and then uh, about three days later, I said to her, "Do you know I've gone? I've registered the URL," and she went go on. And I said, I've called it quick pay hotels. And she went, that's a terrible name. I said, I like fast pay hotels. And I said, that's the other URL I, 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 I bought <laughs> as a, 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 just in case. And she went great. And then that was kind of a weird moment for the two of us, but that was someone I'd learned to trust and become a, a obviously a very good friend. Um, and the two of us had, had an idea and, and off we went and set up and set up fast pay hotels. But, um, you took, I took lots of risks. At low cost, and I said these are coming off. Now I want, from now on, I think I can. want I want to take off more risks, um, and I had this idea. And I and I went in and I said, listen, I want to go. I want to set up my own thing. Um, can I buy one of the businesses at low cost to get me started? And they went, are you mad? Who do you think you are? You can't buy. So in the I think in the May, I went over and I said, look, I I, I found some capital. I said we'd like to. I'd like to buy this business off low cost holidays, and they said no. I said, well, look, if I can't buy something and I'm not going to get my money, you know, and well, I can't buy that house, um, I'd like to, um, I think I'm going to go. Well, what are you talking about? Let's talk about it. And then my wife said to me one morning, listen, go in and quit today. And I said, but we haven't done the business plan yet. She said, uh, and we haven't got the money and I haven't found the investors. And she went, look, you're not going to find it unless you quit. And I said, what are you talking about? Just quit. We'll work it out later. And, uh, and she gave me the push and she said, I'm here. We're fine. Um, so I went in one morning and said, "I'm out." Here's my resignation letter, and they went, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "I'm out," and I walked out. I said, "I have no idea what happens next," um, and and off I went. And uh, and and then eventually I set up my own business. But I needed that push. I did need that push because um, and I needed. And then at that time I was a daddy. Yeah. You know, I was a husband. You know, the level of risk making changed. But to have someone in your family say, "Listen, just go for it. This is miserable." um go and do something that you know you're not happy doing this go and do something and i did and uh, uh and i had a co-founder um Elodie who, who you know who gave me a really hard time and she's you know polar opposite to me and uh yeah, and having a partner is, is obviously something a business partner is something I've never mm-hmm. had before, and um, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic opportunity.
1: Yeah. I love that because what 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 strikes me is is you and Julie as a team, as a unit. And it's yes, okay, you know, it's, you're the one that's setting the business up in front in the business, but you cannot underestimate can you having someone in your life, both either a business partner or a life partner, that is there saying, you know what, I love you anyway. Um, it'll be fine. Yeah. How bad can it be? Yeah. But don't life's too short to be unhappy doing what you're doing, and therefore the time is right. So just go and go and do it, and I'm with you all the way, no matter what happens.
0: Yeah, and I think and I think, um, I was lucky with that because clearly, both my wife and my business partner were, were we both, you know, and and um, you know, we as, you know, the two families, we almost went, let's do this, yeah, which, which was great. Um, and don't underestimate, I mean, there's a lot of startup, um, it's incredibly difficult, yeah. it's inc- but there's nothing, you know, what one of the real moments i think where you realize that is in the first year operations we couldn't afford anyone in the evenings to pick up the phone calls mm. so what we'd have was we'd have a mobile phone call for operational issues that we had uh, we sell hotels um hotel rooms to travel agents and uh, fast hotels and sometimes guests will arrive at hotels and there's no reservation so um the phone would ring at about 3 30 4 o'clock in the morning and i would say i can sleep through anything and my wife would nudge me and go phone 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 so you pick up the phone. You're going Fastway Hotels Operations. How can I help you? <laughs> and it's the Best Western in Portland. see uh, Sea C- C- House. Uh, you know. And they call you and they go, We've got a guest here, but the credit card thing won't go through. Can I have a new credit card number, please? Otherwise, I'm going to have to charge the guest. And you go one second, please. And you put on your <laughs> nicest voice. And you do that. And you go, You know, I so literally. And you think, You know, six months ago, I had. Uh, two PAs, I was receiving 1,200 emails a day, I was managing 12 offices around the world, at, you know, a 500 million business. And today, I'm trying to find a credit card, uh, credit card slip for a, for, a, for a $69 business at the Best Western in, 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 Seat, in Portland. And, and that is startup, yeah. you know, and it's incredibly beautiful and glamorous and there's, you know, lots of very cool podcasts and, and, yeah. and lots of literature, but genuinely, that's what you go to. And we did. We we mortgaged the house. We did the credit card debt. We didn't sleep through the nights. Mm. Um, that is it. I remember New Year's Eve. Uh, no, about 28th, 29th of December. We were in Scotland with my wife's family and our biggest customer switched us off because they felt like it. Um, and I just got on a plane and spent New Year's Eve by myself, uh, and which is miserable. You know, if anyone's ever spent Christmas on New Year's Eve <laughs> by themselves, no one ever plans to do that, right? Yeah. But you spend New Year's Eve by yourself because you know you need to be in the office sorting out these issues. And uh, there is some, I mean, those are real, real examples of, of, of setting up a business, but you can't do it. I've, I don't think I could have been able to do it without my co-founder, uh, without my family support, because... Those are really lonely moments. I mean, mm. really, really tough.
1: Yeah. yeah, but obviously, you know, it's all worked out fantastic well. Business is going going great, isn't it? With with fast, pay. obviously yes. it's tough right now. Look, I appreciate I, current situation, but uh, that aside. Yeah.
0: Well, look, I think we're getting there. We're getting there. You've yeah. interviewed uh, through your podcast. You've been telling me about some of the people. You've been some far more successful people than us. Uh, uh, but um, we're getting there. We, we were. Um, the business has grown. We work with thirty thousand hotels around the world. We're in seventy eight countries. Um, we work with fifteen thousand travel agents around the world. You know the numbers are are, are good. Um, we're a profitable business, which is great. Mm. Um, and uh, as of last year, we had the incredible epic venture of um, of, of, of securing private equity backing. So we now have uh, Magenta Partners, our private equity our private equity house in London, uh, who are behind the business and, in, and big investors in the business. Um, which obviously changed everything. You know, mm. you know, it's a huge amount of money that was, that was put into the business. Um, so yes, I think in that context, it has gone well. Um, but yeah, th- those, those, those moments are, are yeah. oh, brutal, you know, uh, and, and I look back on them now and now it doesn't even seem like a thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I do like to take obstacles every now and then. I do, you know, I put myself on a shift and then say, see if I, or at least listen to them, um, because you mustn't lose that. Um, but but yeah, I went off and and I, and I took the biggest risk of all, which was which was you know put everything on the line, got a huge amount of debt, um, yeah. took no salary for six months. I mean, they're, they're statements now, but I can tell you that they're, they're really really tough. Yeah. And um, and you don't want to make anyone around you suffer, do you? Because you know you don't want the, if the kids are doing tennis lessons or or you know or you on Sundays you used to go to these restaurants. You don't want to say well because it's a startup.
1: Can't do that yeah. from now
0: on. Uh, there's no more fun for anyone, and we can never buy clothes again.
1: Yes, bread and water. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which, which a lot of us, it,
1: yeah, it, probably yeah, if yeah.
0: I was in my 20s, start up, you know, there's those stories of people sleeping on sofas, but yeah. I was a, I was a middle aged startup or, um, and, and, uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of risk in that.
1: And I, but I love the fact that, that when, um, you decided to quit, or when you had the encouragement to quit, shall we say, to take that brave move, that Julie said, you you said, oh, I don't have the business plan, I haven't got the finance in place, you know, but you just, said, no, well, let's just make a start. So start now, get perfect later, yeah. being a sort of the, the, the kind of ethos behind that. And then you'll figure it out along the way. Uh, but better to start than not to start. And,
0: and Yes, and I think that's, that's important. And I think you're absolutely right. And, I think, the, and then I think if you look back now, the business plan that I would, even if I had written a business plan, it would look nothing like the business that yeah. I have today. <laughs> yeah. right? And that's the other thing, of course, people say, "Should I set up a business, haven't got a business plan Uh, fine you should probably have some level of business plan Um, but the other thing is you should also know that the business plan you're going to write is literally uh you know and there's a there's a great phrase in spanish which is you know excel will bear all all assumptions right it always looks beautiful on the spreadsheet (laughs) you can always fiddle it to to, to make sure that it says what you need it to say and it still makes sense to you right the reality is (laughs) you can and we did that lots and and we're probably guilty of it all of the time all of us right but um but I found um, we got going, and we had a really good idea, um, which no one had ever done before, which was great. Um, but then we realised probably six months, nine months in, that we had to tweak that idea completely. If we never got started, we wouldn't even got to that second point. Yeah. And you, and you, I believed, and and I just said this is going to make me happy, and I knew that if it went wrong, it was personally going to cost us homes and yeah. uh, and some big issues, but. You, the thing that I think that I take away is you can only regret what you do. You can't regret what you don't do. And yeah. I decided that it was I didn't want to regret not having tried
1: yeah 100% and and they I mean there's so much gold in everything you're saying Alex I just think this is going to be so inspiring for so many people (laughs) no seriously because there's so many people that want to do something whether it's a new business or change jobs or leave a relationship or start a new relationship you know all these kind of quite important decisions and choices and there's so many people that they just they just don't you know they never make the move and I think the fact that you made some really bold moves in your career throughout the whole of your career but arguably setting up on your own being probably the biggest leap that you that you made and just thought you know what I'm just going to give it a go and we'll see We'll, we'll what will be will be I'm going to work my arse off I'm going to be, you know, be really focused but I don't want to have any regrets because life no. is too short And,
0: and but there's some sort of things there's things you can take into that don't underestimate yeah. that so you've got to work hard you've got to stuff um, I've always been fairly decent, there's a lot of integrity, I think, that you take with you. And you might not be able to take the Expedia brand to your next job. You might not be able to take the low-cost growth. You might not be able to take uh, the Apodo balance sheet to your next job. Mm. But you can take your, your, well, your personal brand is one, obviously. But that's really made up of your integrity, uh, your professionalism, the fact you turn up to things on time, Mm. uh, the fact that you're interested in other people. um, that, That you can always take with you. Yeah. And it's funny because when I did set up Fast Bay Hotels, there was uh, some really powerful brands. Um, you know, really the first contract we signed as Fast Bay Hotels was Melia Hotels. Mm. Melia don't sign contracts with anyone.
1: Yeah.
0: And they said, we know you, and you were decent, and you did the first ever Expedia Melia deal for us, and we've done we've made a lot of money. Yeah. And you were a decent man, and you were and and they believed. The second really big contract we signed was Hilton.
1: Yeah.
0: We were the first direct connect for Hilton in three years. Amazing. And they turned around and said. We know you speak our language and you never, you never, you you always played it fair. You were decent Mm. and they trusted. Um, And a business our size probably shouldn't have got the level of those kind of deals. We were able to connect the full portfolio of these hotels. Today, 30,000 hotels. But um, there's nothing like, as a startup, walking into the third hotel chain and said, well, Hilton and Melia are in. Yeah. Why aren't you? And that made a really big difference to us. But you take integrity and you take professionalism, and you take... um, and you just take those, It's it, it, relationship is a sort of the broader term, mm. but, you know, I was confident that, that that I'd invested in those enough. And if you're decent and honest with people, um, I think they remembered you for that. Yeah. And you, do, you you can you, you can definitely be cut through. You can be somewhat of a bully if you're working in a big company like Expedia, yeah. but be aware that someone will remember you for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I, I mean, your reputation is everything, I think, in life, yeah. in business, in, in, in everything. And, and you're spot on because... I think what what's what strikes me a lot about you, Alex, is you've got very strong values that that, that clearly come from having a good family background, and you know that you, you do business in the right way. You know you have integrity, honour, and, and all.
0: Well, my, that my mother's well. strong on that. She always said like, um, I was big on big things, like manners maketh man. Yeah, and and all of and, and mum's uh, my mother's it still is I mean, very 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 strong on on those kind of things, and I think values matter. And you you know um, the truth will out. Uh, don't be jack-of-all-trades, master at none. Yeah. She's got these great phrases yeah. <laughs> that some, you know, and I, maybe that's a sign of age, Well we all now are quoting our parents. Yeah, court, well, right? I love that. Um, but the, the, I find that, you know, these things matter to you. And if you take them into your work, it, it's, I've always found it very difficult to consider that being a person at home and being a person at work, there's a lot of people who are different people in those two environments. Um, I'm aware I'm aware that that's dangerous. We shouldn't we should never try and be two personalities. Yeah. Otherwise that's that's a, I don't think it's that's a that's a miserable place to be, right? Yeah. No, and if, so you've got personal values, take them with you to work.
1: Yeah. No, you're right, bring your whole self to work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Uh, you I am so impressed with what you've achieved, Alex. It's it's <laughs> incredible. No, honestly, it's really inspiring. I've got two final questions if I may, yeah. if that's all right. So, best piece of advice you've ever been given.
0: Uh best piece of advice. I, I I think there was, uh, I can't remember who told it, I think it was a Thomas Cook thing, um, but someone said to me, and I took that through my working career in corporate uh, if you only ever do your job description, you'll only ever be your job description.
1: Oh, that's great. Which I
0: like that. I I'm like that a lot. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, they give you those things and they say, here are the tasks you're meant to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. If you do them all, you can do that job.
1: Yeah. But imagine
0: if you could do a couple more the chances are you'll probably move on to something bigger.
1: Absolutely. No, that's great. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. That's great advice. Yeah. And worst piece of advice you've ever been given?
0: Um, I don't know. There's um, There was a phrase at low cost that was used an awful lot, which said, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. <laughs> um, I don't. Know. I don't perceive things in that way, you know, mm-hmm. just keep everyone close. You know, I don't if, think it's a question of, you know that all feels very underhanded to me yeah. i don't think that's like that i don't have that attitude of you know kill or be killed that's not really i, I like to compete i'm ferociously competitive uh but i don't need to you know i don't yeah. perceive everyone as enemies and friends and whatever you just you know i it's business yeah you know it's that's not the way i see it look if the, if i walk away from business relationships all of the time that doesn't make anyone an enemy mm. you know i don't think of that of that of business that way so Look, I'm not saying it's very bad advice, but it's just advice that was shot at me all of the time and I've never perceived it as something that's relevant to um, having values, possibly, uh, in in a business. That's not something how
1: I think. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, Alex, you have been brave, bold and brilliant. You are the epitome of what we're trying to achieve with the podcast. And honestly, I just think this this conversation is going to be so inspiring to so many. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you very much for having me.